Alchemy is an ancient practice associated with science, chemistry, physics, astronomy, astrology, art, symbology, metallurgy, medicine, and philosophical analysis. And despite that these sciences were not exercised in a scientific way as known today, alchemy is the origin of modern logic. Dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, and welcome to another episode of the Alchemy of Truth. Uh, this is your host, Nasir Khatib, and I am at a coffee shop somewhere in the city called Rosso, and it's opposite um, at uh, opposite the QVB, and we're just getting our drinks with ice chocolate and something else. Um, so my show today, inshallah, is with um, Brother Ottoman, Sorry. Will. <laughs> What's what's what what name do you go by, bro? Will, just Will. I'm with brother Will, and uh, we're having our, our second um, club book club meeting. Our book club is called the not hipster Muslim. What's the hipster Muslim book club? No, no. Except we, except we were forced to change the name. People objected to the word hipster, so it's now the ironic living Muslim book club. Though it should be just. Uh, just <laughs> the two of us book club or something like that. <laughs> two brothers. That's uh, that's a definition, inshallah, of how many people in the book club. We are having uh, this book club uh, from my perspective because I'm joined in this book club as well. Uh, because I think that it is very important that we read um, and that we get exposed to different um, styles of, of fiction um, and different perspectives of people because it really gives us a more uh, holistic view of the world um, and this is something that I've been trying to do for a long time because uh, I I don't read as much as I should I actually spend a lot of time watching television for example or getting involved in Facebook while I should be reading so um, I put a message out there and brother Will uh, answered me so tell me Will uh, a little bit about book club and about why you wanted to have a book club as well um, I think most of the books that I read are non-fiction and I really enjoy reading fiction but when I do it often ends up being uh, relatively well not trashy but uh, not literature fantasy books things like that which are which are well written but they're they don't kind of deal with themes that I wanted to read or that I you know books that I studied in university and so I, I wanted to use the book club as an excuse to read things that were kind of out of my comfort zone um, and to really get into kind of the in-depth discussions that you just kind of don't get into it. otherwise like I think that there's something when you're reading a book and you know that you're going to be talking to someone about it you appreciate certain things more and you focus more on things like the writing things like the themes to kind of be able to explain them to other people um, so I think that that's kind of what my goal was in, in joining it and so um, this is our second book club meeting the first book club uh, meeting was um, I think about two months ago and it was to discuss the first title that we chose, which is... Um, you know Diaz's The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, which I loved. Um, yeah, it was... it was, and, and I felt that our discussion about it really, like, we tapped into very different kind of... different parts of the book, because I'm a nerd, and, um, <laughs> and all the Lord of the Rings references really got to me, and we had a really interesting discussion about kind of um, the... I guess the... the kind of supernatural things that are attached to dictators and stuff like that it was quite it was good yeah I, I like the book as well I had a, um, a few 
Um, I had a few problems maybe with um, the liberal use of sex uh, and yeah, sexing. This is, this is uh, our first lesson was to have someone read the book first um, to kind of understand what, what's going to be awkward because um, yeah there was there was a bit too much of that stuff but yeah this is but I, I still feel that um, we did a good choice by choosing that book because it was a really very uh, very insightful book um, and as a person who comes from another dictator um, you know another dictator controlled country um, I found that a lot of the things that they mentioned about um, what was it? it wasn't Papadop, what was the guy's name? Trujillo. Uh, yeah, about Trujillo who was the dictator in um, the Dominican Republic over the 19, I think, 50s and 60s. Long time. Uh, yeah, so it was a long time ago. But I mean, just whatever was attributed to him and the the legend uh, steps that was attributed to him as well, um, it seems to be something that takes place with every other dictator as well. Uh, and so it was it was very good. It was actually more like um, historical fiction than it was just normal fiction. So now we come to the second title, uh, and we're going to discuss that, inshallah. So, uh, Will, can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, the book that we chose is um, Samarkand by Amin Malouf. Um, it was originally, I think, in Arabic, yeah? Not, not in French? No, I think it was in French. I think he writes in French primarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, originally in French, and then translated by Russell Harris. Um, and basically it's kind of a I guess you would call it historical fiction um, it, it comes in really two parts one part set um, uh, around the time of Omar Khayyam um, and uh, the other part uh, is set around the sinking of the Titanic and the kind of rise of various Islamist movements within Iran and the kind of period where uh, I Iran and and the Middle East more generally was kind of uh, tackling with what was viewed as being a kind of impending colonialism. Um, so the, the book's written from the perspective of, a, of an American school teacher um, who's traveling kind of in and out of the Middle East um, in the second part and in the first part as kind of the reflections of Omar Khayyam traveling around. Um, so, I, I have a kind of intense dislike of historical fiction because I spent much of the time reading the book raging at inaccuracies which I kind of recognized. Um, the issue there being that I'm not particularly, uh, I'm, I'm not an expert in specifically the kind of Omar Khayyam period that they were focusing on and I could still kind of see things and I was like, you know, that didn't happen. But it was still like, I'd much prefer the first part to the second part. It's very interesting as well that, um, actually let me just mention why I uh, was happy about choosing this book. Um, I read first uh, Amin Ma'louf's um, book, Leo the African. Uh, which is also written in French and translated to Arabic and to English. Um, and it's a story of a, um, a, a native of Spain, Muslim Spain, who at a very young age was kicked out of Spain uh, as part of the uh, last uh, Muslim, I guess, inhabitants of the city of uh, Andalus before they, they had to leave um, to uh, Morocco. And so then he tells of stories and, and of incredibly rich description of the, the places and the people and the times. And he travels around from you know Morocco to Africa to Egypt to Turkey and then gets uh, kidnapped and becomes a slave in uh, Medici, um, Italy. 
and so it was it was very interesting, very historically uh, enriching. So I thought Samarkand was going to be something similar. Um, it was not the same level. I still though enjoyed it very much. Um, I was a bit confused with the history actually because I didn't know that he was talking about the Seljuks until I started reading the history behind it in other books. So when he's talking, for example, about Nidam al-Mulk or about the Siyasat Nama, I had no idea they were Seljuks. And also because I was confused, I thought they were Persians, but turns out they were Turks with Persian culture or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like reading it, I think that he did at points kind of really highlight the historical environment. But I think that part of it was that half of the book was focusing on a time that isn't really that far removed from us. Um, I mean, I, I thought that it was, I think that it definitely allows people to access a period in time that was not so, isn't, isn't focused upon much, like that kind of, um, like I think that our knowledge of especially Central Asia is very limited as, like in terms of a lot of Muslims anyway, because it was kind of lost to us for 80 years. Um, and so I think that, I mean, I was reading it with the intention, inshallah, I'm going to Samarkand in June. Um, and so, and I've wanted to travel to, I mean, I, I've traveled to parts of Central Asia, the, the Chinese parts mainly. Um, and I really kind of want to visit Bukhara and visit Samarkand um, and see those kind of regions. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that he's... But he didn't really make... I wasn't quite sure why Samarkand was the name of the book. It, it was... Because Samarkand was, wasn't really a character in a way that sometimes people make cities. Like, I think that in the, the book we read previously, the Yuno Diaz one, the, um, the places were as much characters as anything else. Uh, especially the Dominican Republic. The way that he described the city um, and the way that he described parts of America that he was living in were really, like, very, very characterful. And I mean, it could be like a loss of the language, but I wasn't sure. I mean, I thought that the language was kind of strange as well. Like it had some odd translations, like talking about Tesbih as being worry beads and stuff like that. I thought it was odd. Um, I think um, it's because a Lebanese Arab writer writing in French and getting it translated to Arabic. Yeah, it's like kind of multiple layers of like loss in that translation. I mean, it would be interesting to read the French, but I don't speak French, unfortunately. I think... Um, I thought I was very interested in the book because I thought it was going to be about Omar al-Qayyam himself, but it seems to be about the writings of Omar al-Qayyam, which again seem to be larger than Omar al-Qayyam himself. Just the fact that these ideas, this book of incredible ideas, ideas that are too dangerous for humanity to, to know about them, so it just gets passed around amongst the elite of thinkers. And it starts out, the, the inception of it starts out in some of them, and then it goes all the way to the you know uh, the, the past century and it sinks with the Titanic and it was meant to sink with the Titanic I guess because you know there was no one left to, with that um, um, I guess intellect to, to appreciate it um, but I don't want to go all the way to the end oh I think we just read the book <laughs> yeah, I mean okay. I, I found the the stuff in Iran quite odd the, the choice of an American as the way to kind of see see into Iran, I thought was a kind of disturbing thing. I, I didn't really like I, I because he was placed as so much a part of that movement and and that kind of like taking on of the Orient. You know, he gets adopted symbolically adopted by um, an Iranian mother, and, and he you know accidentally wears 
out like a turban or whatever it was um and i thought that was kind of weird i didn't i didn't like it i mean i know that there's a long history i mean uh, even myself an example of people white people just like coming in and stealing wholesale other people's cultures but um i, I thought that as a i mean i guess part of it is that maluf himself is in a similar position in that his like relationship with iran would be similarly that of a foreigner so i guess it would be difficult for he can't exactly write from within iran uh, i think um this was something also i found to be um not to my liking also i read a couple of days ago i think you might have read it as well the article by michael muhammad knight about white people appropriating other people's yeah, cultures uh, and religions i mean I, i wasn't i wasn't a massive fan of the article because i think it kind of i mean I think it neglected some of the ways that authority uh tra- that authority is transmitted so I think that like that it was a kind of like I liked the article until I realized who it was a specific dig at um and then I was kind of a bit less um I mean I think it is definitely an issue in terms of of white um of the authority given to white converts so if you when people ask me questions about things there's a certain level of authority that's just kind of given by that by fact that I'm a a convert and b white that I don't think that I've ever really earned <laughs> um and and it's not something that occurs with non-white converts um you know I I have like a a friend who um who isn't white um who converted and and he tells people and they're just kind of like okay well like you're brown of course you are like you know um <laughs> and so but i mean that's that's tangentially related to this um in i'm reading in another book about the history of the assassins or the hashashin uh in that in the introduction to the uh the translation of edward fitzgerald of uh, the what's the bayat in english um i don't i don't think i think it's just it's always known as the robayat of america like um it's the word for i guess they're not really quatrains they're a kind of particular type of poem rabai well basically um the the uh, amal khayyam is famous for a lot of things but primarily for his rawayat which are uh, i guess sets of four uh, verses of poem and then the fifth verse like these four i don't know how to explain it. it's difficult to explain i'll i'll try to find some that in kitchaba some poem thing i'm not sure um <laughs> exactly And so yeah for the translation of Edward Fitzgerald to the Rubaiyat of Amal Khayyam he mentions a story of three study friends three study buddies i guess you could say one of them being Amal Khayyam himself the other being the um uh, Persian the you know, the Turkish um vizier uh, later on whose name is Nizam al-Mulk and Hassan al-Sabah who then becomes the leader of the um of the assassins and that really takes part over the first half of the book in which it talks about the um political uh, and historical context that leads to basically starts from the time that Amr al-Khayyam uh, meets these people while he's traveling and then he meets with them later on at different times uh, up until they they all die and the book just travels on so I thought that was very interesting as well but I'd like to get your input on it because like I said before my knowledge of that historical and geographical uh, area is is very hazy. I mean I'm I'm also far far from an expert on it but I I know that a lot of it was real poetic license 
um, on his behalf in terms of the, the meetings of these different individuals. Um, especially the early on relationship between Hassan Sabah and Nizam al-Mulk, which I don't know if was it as kind of in the way that he was, the way that he presented it. Um, I mean, I think that with historical fiction, oftentimes the reason that, uh, that historians write historical fiction is because they want to uh, express parts of history that go into the realm of the imagination in a way that a historian could not normally with a clear conscience do. Um, and so, but Malouf isn't a, a historian and so um, it's kind of, the, the function of the historical fiction seems less clear to me. Um, it, it's kind of, I'm always a bit sus suspicious of kind of giving voice to the dead um, in a way that it just, it's kind of like a bit uh, macabre, that, you know, puppeting of, of, of skulls almost. Um, and yeah, I think that, that I mean, his, his kind of analysis of the, the assassins, for example, um, it, it kind of the, the lineage of their history and things like that, I don't necessarily know how much that aligned with historical reality. I mean, you're reading a book about it. You can, <laughs> um, what, how do you, yeah. Hey, look, it's very interesting. This is the second book I read about them, and um, it, it just keeps giving them more and more um, dimensions for me. The, the bit I liked about Samarqand, about how it mentions Hassan Sabah to be, is that uh, it shows him to be an extremely intelligent person with vast amounts of knowledge in, in you know, history and politics and philosophy. And so at the end of his life, he um, hides himself in the, uh, the citadel of Alamut, where the uh, assassins were at the time. Uh, I think it was North, North Persia and Pazuin. And all the people around him are people who are meant to serve him. So he's not able to exercise his intellect. And so what he does is he sends a message out to Amal Khayyam, asking him to come with him. Because he, Amal Khayyam was the only other person that he knows and loves, even though Amal Khayyam was a person he who... He killed the other one who was, he'd killed, uh, not to ruin the story, but you know, he'd assassinated the vizier and, and so... But I don't, I don't know how Hassan Sabah expected it to work because Amal Khayyam was known for his drinking, for example, and for his womanizing after his wife was killed. And so, at least, at least according to the book, I don't know how much that necessarily responded to a historical reality. That's interesting. I'll have to go back and read that history then. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, so what happens is uh, to incite Amar Khayyam to come over to uh, spend time with uh, Hassan Sabah. He sent Hassan Sabah sent an assassin to kill uh, Amar Khayyam's uh, personal bodyguard while Amal Khayyam was hidden somewhere else, like while well, he'd traveled very far away and had hidden himself somewhere else. So it also gives this mythical um, idea to the uh, almost supernatural abilities of the assassins to find their target and kill him. Uh, and so he stole the, the book of writings of Amal Khayyam. Uh, it's not the Rabaya, it's called something else. Actually, I think it might have been called something maybe. I think it's meant to be the Rabaya, at least not, not the one that Fitzgerald translated, but uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not just Rabaiyad though, it's also like writings and basically his blog entries yeah. uh, for his whole life until he died. Or it was, old school uh, Twitter. Old, old school, yeah, old school Twitter, exactly. Uh, and yeah, so when he steals it, Amal Khayyam actually doesn't go after it and doesn't go towards uh, Hassan Sabah. He just sort of 
gives it away. And I think he, his attachment to it decreased uh, a lot after the death of his wife, that um, he seemed to just want to wait for death to, to take him, didn't he? Yeah, and I, I thought that the, it was really interesting the way that his wife was presented. I can't recall her name. Um, and the way that the, the the court was presented with with the amount of kind of scheming behind the, the scenes, I always find that like in Orientalist understandings of the of the harem or whatever, um, it's always kind of presented as a symbol of like the disempowerment of women within uh, you know, politics and public life. When the reality was, and, and this is really emphasized by the book, is that um, that that really the the women's quarters was such a a source of, of intrigue and of political kind of power play and things like that. I know that the, the Ottomans at one point for about a hundred years were ruled essentially from the harem, yeah. Um, and so I thought that that was, there was the kind of juxtaposition of um, Kayam who's shown to be very disinterested in politics um, and his wife who's, you know, all, all the way into politics to the extent where she will choose it over him. Um, I'm not sure what the function of, of that kind of power play was. I'm not sure how, again, how much it corresponded with the reality. But, yeah. I mean, again, with history, there are different narratives depending on who the writer is. I mean, what I'm reading now, for example, about the Hashashin, I've read one book written by a Muslim, another book written by just like some dude from Europe, from England, I think, and this final book written by a Arab non-Muslim. I think he's Kurdish, but he's writing in Arabic. And the, the, like the narratives are incredibly different. Like for example, this guy is talking about when, uh, the, uh, when Christendom came to free Jerusalem. That's, what <laughs> that's how he uh, writes it. And he mentions it a couple of times as well. But of course, if you were reading from a Muslim perspective, it would say, you know, when Jerusalem was raped by the invader. And even like if you're reading a Western perspective, it would say when Jerusalem was, you know, invaded or taken and, you know, some 70,000 people were killed. It would actually say the facts. And so, but with that as well, it mentions here a lot of things that we didn't know that, um, for example, um, the, a lot, or this is the, the, um, um, the claim here that a lot of the Sunni writings about Ismailis, for example, and about the Hashashin, it, it was um, not true. It was basically things that were made up, and it's mentioned here to be uh, called the Black uh, Myth. So this this whole body of work based around uh, mytholo mythologizing the Ismailis as being these devil people of having seven layers of knowledge, uh, and when you reach the seventh layer, it's just basically the fact that there is no God, right? It's just convincing. Muslims, uh, Sunni Muslims, that you know Ismailis and, and in, in connection to them as well, that Ashari's and etc., that they're all like non-Muslim, that they're kafar. And even at one point, it says that Nizam al-Mulk had commissioned uh, Abu Hamid al-Ghazali to write a book refuting the Ismailis, amongst other people as well. So it's very interesting as well that if you look at it like that, for example, I know that Abu Hamid al-Ghazali has written many books, for example, his Ahiyya uh, al-Muddin and his Tahafli Philosophy, it's, um, you know, he's written great amounts of work, but then you go, you go back and you have to read this history from different perspectives to see. But I mean, if I recall, like his position on the Shia was not that they were Kafir. Um, his position was, yeah, um, and so, I mean, I think that it's it's the way that that kind of interaction between politics and religion is always interesting. Where from the other side, you can you can kind of tell that the political imperatives upon the Ismailis to differentiate themselves 
in turn kind of made like cemented religious differences in a lot of ways because people are pushed by yeah, their interests to kind of make that emphasis um, when what begins as a political kind of dispute can become religious yeah, um, yeah. I mean religion, religion does then get involved and it becomes yeah. more a theoretical theological um, issue rather than a political issue uh, also I mean, the the book in a way it's strange in that it has two it reaches two zeniths so the first one is when Amal Qayyam dies and I'm left really confused like half the book is left what the hell happened why is he dead but then it turns out that afterwards I could travel seven eight hundred years into a person who eventually travels on the Titanic so this was the beginning of the 1900s uh, this American guy falls in love with you know Persian Islamic culture and princess and he falls in love with the I was very unhappy with that really that's I was very unhappy with that, yeah. that Persian princess, the story. And also, there was something else very interesting. The fact that, that you mentioned as well that he hides away with a Muslim woman. And for the Muslim woman to be able to hide him without the Hulwa thing, that they're not married, yeah. she allows him to breastfeed from her and then he becomes like her son. And yeah, they, they described it as an adoption ritual. Um, which I know, like, it's, a, it's about that way of making someone your mahram in terms of, like, I know that there was a, a controversial fatwa in Egypt, I think, about that. Well, it was one it person's opinion, yeah. it wasn't really a fatwa or anything, but I just thought oh, it was yeah. very interesting that it's, it's, it was mentioned here in 1900s Shia Iran that this sort of understanding exists. Yeah. So it has, like, um, it's something that, I mean, exists much older than what this person said in Egypt like 10 years ago or whatever it was. I'm just actually trying to find out here. When was this book written first? Uh, 1988. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I just, I thought that was very interesting as well. Yeah, well, I, I found that like in the same way that the the thing about the Rubaiyat is that um, the understandings both in the Muslim world and in the non-Muslim world are so influenced by the Orientalist understandings of the great trans famous translation um, by Fitzgerald, uh, which was essentially like in many respects a rewriting of most of the of his poems to have this very atheistic bent, which I don't believe most people think was actually there. Um, and so, for a lot of Muslims, their understanding of I am comes from that. And so, in the same way, like the the understandings about like like I think that Samarkand almost imitates that in that the understanding of the Orient by the author himself seemed to reflect a lot of like Orientalist understandings I felt like I felt that a lot of the book was quite Orientalist especially in talking about the colonial period that's that's what I thought as well and I was a bit surprised by it because if you read Leo the African it was completely different like it, it really does speak from a Eastern from a Muslim perspective that's what I found and he, he even wrote another book called um, Crus The Crusades Through Arab Eyes and he was attacked for that book a lot because of what it shows the Crusaders to be and he, and he always uh, defended himself by saying that look this is this is why I wrote, uh, called the book Through Arab Eyes so I'm, I'm giving you the perspective of the Arabs in this sense and so Samar and especially the second part in which this American guy goes to Persia and he actually is the the key factor in driving this rebellion that leads to success 
the fact that he understands things better than the Muslims themselves can. Uh, I wasn't very happy with that. And also, I wasn't very happy that he stole the princess and went to America. I mean, it could, you, you always have to keep in mind that it could, the whole thing could be a kind of a parody or a, a mockery of that idea. Um, I mean, this is, it's like po-trolling. Po you can never tell when, when it's a satire. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really did feel like that to me. It's, yeah, just some of the stuff. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, um, I mean, I mean, he, you know, he, he did things like he um, dissed Machiavelli, um, you know, talking about how uh, the, the book that Nizam al-Mulk wrote about politics was written by someone who had experience of politics, whereas uh, Machiavelli, like, you know, epically failed and wrote his book as a kind of possible, um, possibly even a satire, um, as a gift to the prince who had ousted him and tortured him. Um, and so I think that they were kind of elements of... Uh, trying to change narrative because I mean he would understand that the, the audience of this especially when it's written in French is partly the West like a lot of it is that's the aim and so that's why I think it made those narratives even more problematic because it wasn't such a refutation as it could have been Maybe sometime in the future we can invite uh, I mean Aluf to speak to us about this I know that he does speak Arabic I don't know I don't know much about it him or about his kind of background do, do you know I just know that he's uh, Lebanese French and he's he's quite well regarded as a writer in, in France I mean he's won some sort of award uh, or like some sort of a title which only the highest of French authors get so it's quite good um, also says here Samarpand is the winner of the Prix de Maison de la Presse award which is I guess a good award this is the book um, and this is our uh, take on it. Now, uh, Will, what do you think uh, should be our next title? Should we um, decide something now or leave it for a week and just discuss it? I, mean, I think I suggested a bunch of different authors. I think it would be interesting to read a female author. Um, I, I know that um, I suggested, I think, Toni Morrison maybe or uh, Hilary Mantel, uh, somebody else I can't <laughs> recall who. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Toni Morrison. Um, her, I studied Beloved, um, one of her great books, um, in university. Though her, um, though I don't know if that that's cheating to to have <laughs> written essays about the book and then and then have it as the. I think it would be a good idea, especially. I mean, if you know something about it more than I would, then after we read it, you can give me all the insights that I might not not picked up myself. Um, yeah, so what we can do is we can mention these books and uh, see next time if, um, you know, who would vote for it. Yeah. I mean, because I, I know that Hilary Mantel's books, uh, she's, won, she's written three books and two of them won bookers, um, but they're both uh, massive tomes and it took us long enough to read this one. <laughs> they're, they're gigantic books. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I mean, look... Um, what I wanted from this book club is to be challenged because the books, especially the fiction books that I read now, because like you, I don't read a lot of fiction books. So the fiction books that I do read, um, I, I choose them very selectively. And so it's sort of like the book that I know I'm going to. I kind of, so going, for example, through the, uh, the Juno Diaz guy and his book, I was really happy by the end of reading the book that I'd read it. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of the book, for example, even until about the half of the book, I was thinking, what am I doing reading this book? Yeah. So I want, I want to experience um, you know, these different perspectives and, and these different styles as well.
Yeah, yeah definitely. I think, I think that that's the, the great kind of thing about a book club is that it will always force you to read things that you would never normally, like I would, I mean, I might have read some again, but I don't think I would have read, you know, Diaz otherwise. Um, and there's, I, I think we were talking about um, Bolano as well, maybe reading um, 2666, which was, or another one by him, um, that was apparently quite well regarded. Um, that again, like I'd never got the courage up to read. Yeah, so inshallah we'll, we'll discuss that in, in our group, our Facebook group. I think it's facebook.com slash hipster Muslim book club. Right? Ironic, ironic, oh, slash hipster Muslim book club, yeah. <laughs> so, I think we maybe we just have to put it back at hipster Muslim just for the sake of uh, practicality and yeah. race ourselves. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing wrong with, I mean, it's, it's, we're ironically calling it a hipster Muslim book club, right? It's, it's irony, which is itself, I guess, hipster. So, it's like it, <laughs> hipsterception. Well, I, I didn't name it. So uh, yes. I can't be held responsible for that. But anyways, uh, so this comes to the end of our time, inshallah. Um, Brother Will, thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to reading the next book. Yeah, be good, inshallah. Assalamualaikum. And that was myself, Nasser Khatib, and Brother Will. And we are the founders of the Hipster Muslim Book Club, uh, which was just founded, I think, a couple of months ago. And by the time this podcast comes out, we would have chosen our uh, next installment, inshallah, our third book. We now go to another uh, Muslim Sisters book club and we're going to interview her uh, and today we're speaking to Sister Dunya. Okay, so uh, now we're speaking to Sister Dunya who's going to tell us a little bit about the book club that she herself is involved in. Dunya, tell us a little bit, why did you feel you wanted to uh, join a book club? Uh, Well, after I had my two beautiful children, there isn't much time for reading. So when um, some good friends of mine suggested that they would like to start a book club, I was definitely um, keen to be involved because I knew that it would having people you know to keep up with would definitely help my reading and getting me involved in more books. Mm-hmm. And um, from my understanding, the books that uh, your book club reads, they're all Islamic books. Actually, no, they're not. Um, we've tried to vary up the topics a little bit. Mm. Um, so anything is on the cards, really. But mm. um, we would like to try to include more Islamic books than other other types of books, just because obviously that's out where our common interests lie. Yeah. Um, but we're definitely open to any particular book. Okay. Um, does your book club have any certain name? Is it a, sort of like an, a public book club? Does Can anyone join? It, of course, they could join if they really like to. But at the moment, it's just a group of, um, of good girlfriends. But we're open to anybody joining if they're interested. So what was the name of your uh, book club? Um, okay, it was called the Lazy Person's Book Club. Was it really? It was. <laughs> That's a very nice we name. We thought a nice, funny name would be appropriate. Um, actually, I didn't name it. Um, a friend of mine did. Okay. Uh, but we asked her why she called it that, and it was um, it was pretty appropriate actually because uh, we take a little while to get through the book because mm. we've all got very busy lives as mm. as everybody does lately. So um, we called it that. Okay, that's a that's a very interesting. Uh, um, <laughs> so what? How was your reading before and after joining the book club? Because from the experiences of the people we've spoken to, they had very little time or very little interest mm. in reading the book. So how did you feel your interest was in reading books after joining the book club? Oh, it was a lot greater, um, mainly because you've got a few other people reading the same book, so you mm. know that you can, you're going to read it and have somebody to discuss it with, as opposed to just reading it yourself and putting it back on the shelf. So I guess there was a bit more motivation. You know, you look forward to reading the next chapter or the next book once you finish that one, so it definitely helps 
to motivate you more to get into reading or back into reading in my case. Mm-hmm. And um, what about um, the, the books that you're reading now? Once you read the books um, and then you discuss it with other people, uh, do you feel that you have a richer experience of the book having discussed it with other people? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Because you get different opinions. Um, we read The Alchemist actually as our first book just because we'd all actually already read it. And it's a very easy read and it's also interesting. It's got a lot of life lessons in it. So um, instead of sitting back and just thinking about it on your own, we all had different opinions and what it, you know what you thought when you were reading this particular chapter. So yeah, it's good to share with other people. So what was the, the most recent book that you finished reading and met about? Uh, we're still reading at the moment um, Tarek Ramadan's The Messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's um, we're taking a while to get through that one, mainly because people are busy, but also because it's it's an important book. It's about the prophet. So um, we're just sort of reading that chapter at a time and, and meeting and discussing each chapter. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, there, there's not many pages in a chapter, but we're just sort of really more going into detail mm. um, into each chapter. So... Um, we were finding that it's tricky to get everybody finishing the book at the same time. So this was a, an easier way for us to still meet. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's more of a social gathering, you know, just to sit around and have coffee. And instead of having mm. to have had everyone read the whole book, it was good just to have a, a chapter or two um, okay. at a time. And so once you finish with this book, what uh, what is your future um, topic to choose? Topic, um, I would have to go to our little plan that we've made. Um, okay. We put together a little plan of topics and everybody's got their suggestions there. Um, so we'll just go to that and randomly pick something, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Is it also going to be sort of like an Islamic-esque um, book? or? I'm not sure. Perhaps the next one will be um, a fiction book. Okay. <laughs> and if people wanted to join your group, how would they be able to do that? So uh, through the Alchemy of Truth, I guess they can yeah, contact you. Yeah, they can you. contact you and, we'll, and can um, pass their details to us. Okay, yeah. good. No worries. Thank you very much and good luck with your book. No worries. Thank you very much. And that was Sister Dunya from the Lazy Persons Book Club. Um, and now we go to our final book club interview, which is uh, one of the oldest uh, book clubs in Sydney, Muslim book clubs in Sydney at least, with Sister Inshirah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We are now with Sister Inshirah, who has been running the longest running Muslim book club in Sydney. Really? I, I think so. Well, <laughs> unless someone challenges me, then yeah, okay. that's I'm going sure to be the case. there's someone out there. Well, well, we'll see, inshallah. If someone challenges, then definitely there's someone out there. So tell me, Sister Inshirah, let's start from the very beginning. What did you feel you needed to create or to join a book club? Okay, well, our book club is mainly, we're all, we're all a bunch of mothers. So um, we yep. kind of felt the need to meet up more often, not as mothers. We were meeting each other casually, but as mothers, we all felt like we wanted some, to do something different rather than just meeting with our husbands and our kids. So we wanted to all meet, and we thought we need to meet for a purpose. Uh, And we all complained that we have no time, no time for ourselves, let alone time to read a book. So we kind of thought a book club's a great way for us to meet as women rather than as mothers and independently away from our families. And it's a way to force us all to read books, to get back to books. Without the book club, we all felt that in our spare time, we don't sit down and actually read books. We all end up doing other things. So mm. the book club was a, a good way for us to, to make sure we read. Yep. And um, I guess just focus ourselves on something other than, other than being mothers. Mm. Yeah. For you, before you joined the book club generally, um, how reading, how important is reading for you? Is it something that you uh, do on a regular basis or is it something that you wanted to pick up and to increase? As a child, I read a lot and all through high school, I read a lot. But I think after university, when you start working, I didn't read as much. Um, there were just other, other things going on in life. 
Um, and then with motherhood, once you become a mother, you have no time for reading. That's kind of an absolute privilege. So I think since motherhood, I realised that um, how important it was. It was something that I took for granted before. Mm. And yeah, now that I guess time is a premium and you kind of prioritise your spare time, yeah, definitely my, my time goes into reading a lot. Mm. So, and this is something that you also want to pass on to your children? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. we read to our children um, every day, every day. Yeah, no, definitely. And our kids, I guess our philosophy is that they don't actually watch much television and definitely no commercial television. Mm. So books are definitely the focus. And even with our, our four-and-a-half-year-old now, we've just started doing audio books for her in the car. So, but there's definitely a focus and emphasis on reading uh, rather than screen time. Okay, great. And uh, for your book club, uh, which we'll be calling the uh, No Name Book Club. <laughs> Sorry, we'll have to come up with a name. That's okay, no problem. Uh, actually, another uh, book club I was interviewing before, their name was uh, the Lazy Person's Book Club because they were too lazy to come up with a name. <laughs> no, I'm sure we can remedy that. Inshallah. Yeah, yeah. So how did you establish? I mean, was it you, first of all, who came up with the book club and got other people to join? Or did you join it? How difficult was it to get something like this running? It was me and a friend of mine who, who wanted to start it. We'd actually heard, I think other mothers had done it a few years ago, but mm. it hadn't... Um, Picked up. Yeah, I think it ran for for a while, but then it just kind of died off again. A friend of mine and I decided, yeah, we, we both love books, and when we did meet socially, we'd always talk about books. And so we just kind of thought, yeah, let's start doing this. And then um, everyone we told wanted to join. So alhamdulillah, it's been really good. Alhamdulillah. How many people do you have at your book club? It kind of varies week to week. So on our mailing list, there's probably about... Ten people, mm, but it okay. just depends each month who can attend and uh, what suburb it's in and, and what the book is as to who attends. So it's usually from about three to eight people will attend each month. It just depends. Okay. And uh, what sort of books do you guys read? You mentioned before that they're not Islamic books, but is it fiction or non-fiction that you read? Uh, it's both. It's mm. both. And there are a few Islamic books. just depends. Basically, each month... Uh, Whoever hosts it picks which book oh, okay. to read. Oh. So, um, so each mother gets a turn to host it, mm. either at their house or at a park or at a cafe, and then they all decide which book we're going to read. Okay. Uh, so it's completely varied, which is the other good thing because you end up reading books that you would never normally look into. Um, so it varies. It could be fiction, it could be non-fiction, it could be Islamic. Um, yeah, it, it's completely varied. And so you can actually commit to reading one book per month? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's very impressive. Is that really? Yeah. Oh, no, because, I mean, be. with the book club that I'm joined with, so far over the last six months, we've only managed to read two books. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so... Uh, it just depends. And, and there are, I mean, there's definitely some months where um, it's harder than other months. Mm. And um, we don't generally have book club during Ramadan. Mm. In Ramadan, instead, we actually all meet for an iftar. Oh, okay, so we, we will still meet with our yeah. families, yeah, but yeah. Um, there's no book specifically in Ramadan. Okay. But um, if women don't have time, they don't get the chance to, to read it, um, they're still welcome to join the book club. They can still come um, and participate on how much they've read or, or just to socially um, come to the book club. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the last book you read and discussed? Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Oh, okay. The last book was called The Book Thief. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I've read that. 
Have you? Did you yeah. like it? I loved it. I thought it was very good. Yeah, so did I. Absolutely loved it. Mm. Um, I couldn't put it down. Mm. Uh, but, but it was interesting because um, one of the other women that attend didn't like it at all. So um, mm. I think that's one of the biggest things. I don't think we've ever had a book where everyone's enjoyed it or everyone's liked it. Mm-hmm. So it, it keeps the conversation really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what is the next book that you're uh, planning to read? The next one... Oh, actually, the next one is from Yasmin Mugahed. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, it's called Reclaim Your Heart. Mm. Uh, and we're actually meeting, um, you know, she's coming to Sydney, inshallah, inshallah uh, yeah. in April. So okay. we're actually meeting at one of her dinner events oh, um, with the book and to discuss it there and, and listen to her talk. So that's really good. Okay, okay, that's yeah. excellent. And if, one, if people wanted to join your book club, is that something that you guys allow or is it just sort of like a couple of friends meeting? Oh, no, no, they're welcome to, they're welcome to. I mean, it's only for women. <laughs> That's the director, I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, they're welcome to. And, and because um, each mother kind of hosts it, it travels around Sydney. So mm. it could be in Auburn or um, we have one in Guildford, one in Granville. We have one in Brighton. Lakemba. Yeah, it, it does travel around. So it actually worked out quite well because, um, I mean, we're all time poor. So if that month is it's in your neighborhood, it's much mm. easier to attend and get away from the kids. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, no, they're welcome to. Yeah, Excellent. Uh, sister, thank you very much for your time, and um, I wish you all the best uh, with the next book as well. Inshallah, I will. Assalamu alaikum. Waikum salam, bye. And now, dear listeners, we come to the end of our show. I hope you've enjoyed the interviews that I've made and the insights you might have gotten from, I guess, the benefits of reading books uh, within a club and to really analyze books and get to the messages behind them. If you want to have more information about uh, any of the book clubs you've heard, you're most welcome to call us and the public book club, which is namely the Hipster Muslim Book Club, uh, information will be available on our website and on the Facebook page as well. Thank you very much. This is uh, your host, Nasr Khatib. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.